As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life, hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative you insurgency up, in their man. lives. You fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Deep in the heart of Texas. I know you Deep got, in that's the heart. You, you can't. If you got to start that out, it's the stars at night are big and bright, and then any like if you just step outside and scream <laughs> that, I'll automatically have to go. Deep in the heart of Texas. That's why I did it. I don't no, know. No, you have to deliver the first line. All right, say it again. Stars at night are big and bright. All right, ready? You're the one to do this. Uh, is going to get killed. The, the star. <laughs> Emily, what? Somebody's going to kill this man. No, that, <laughs> this I'm is paying up. tribute to you, the great right, state of right Texas. This right is ahead. our big Texas show, we'll dude. Got, the, one of the best barbecue shacks in Texas are, is down there. Brownsville. Down where he's from? Well, hold yeah. on. Let me. How, what do I say again to start the show? Stars at night are big and bright. All right, ready? The stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Where's your clap, bro? No, I, well, you, you finished out the last part. I was fixing it. Did, did you see me? Oh. I, was like, I was fixing the clap, and you, you finished it. So I was like, basically what happens after that, and when you launch that out into the audience, yeah. Texas be driving in a truck and be like... Almost wrecked it. Deep in the heart. <laughs> That's how... So the clap becomes deep from before, deep in the heart. The, have you ever seen, what was that movie back in the day? I think it was like Pee Wee's Big Adventure or something like that. I don't know why this stuck Pee-wee's in my head. Big Adventure. What's yeah. the one with Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton? That's my favorite. Texas has oh, a whorehouse in it, uh, right? Lord uh, have mercy. Best little whorehouse best in Texas. Horse, Texas. Yeah, yeah. That was a real place. Oh, I know. Okay. That's, that's what's awesome, man. What other great and epic my dad Texas? Went there. Uh, <laughs> my dad went there. 
I was supposed to go there, but it closed down. <laughs> is that like an 18th birthday spot? Yeah. Ours was the Pink Pussycat down it, in, it, in Miami. Where was this located? Yeah. Man, I was hoping you would. I, I was just thinking, trying to speaking. think of the name of the town. It's right over here. It's, well, down the road in Texas. Right. Pretty it's good in ways. the vicinity. No. It's, um, in- <laughs> it's the place is still there. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I don't think they tore it down. It's just condemned. It's in, um, let me look it up real fast. And, and dude, so. He's from where? Brownsville? Our guest coming on today? Uh, yeah, somewhere in northern sure Mexico, the, isn't it? The, it's the last town in Texas. It's it, the lowest one there. It's the last town in Texas. Yeah. A.K.A. northern Mexico. <laughs> it's south Texas. That you say is, Brownsville? I mean, there's, I don't think there's any more south Texas than that that I can think of off the top of my head. Well, the funny thing is, it doesn't matter if you're in Brownsville, you're in El Paso, you're in Houston, you're in Austin. It doesn't matter the overarching focus is still pretty heavy that if you're not from Texas, you suck, basically. Is that, is that, is it, is it, do they teach that in school? Like, I just saw a, a meme not today. Not that everything else sucks, it just ain't Texas, I guess would be the way to say that. <laughs> you know that flag I got in the barn down there? Exactly. Oh, dude, I love it. Dude, did you see that there's a billboard that someone posted LaGrange. on? It was in LaGrange. LaGrange. Texas, yeah. There's a billboard in Texas now that when you cross the state line coming from California, it says, if you're a liberal, just keep on driving until you're out. It's a giant billboard, dude. It basically says, if you're a liberal, just keep on driving out of Texas. Unbelievable, dude. That's what I love so much about the fact that we do the show in Texas, my home way. And by the way, that my little star tattoo is a Texas star. I got it in homage of how wonderful the people are here in Texas. From They my- are. Our people are great. They are. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm telling you. I'm American made in Texas edition. Special forces package. <laughs> Ford, Ford King Ranch. Yeah, like Ford oh. King Ranch. So American made Texas edition. Texas edition. Yeah, I special love it. Forces package. Oh my God, that's brilliant. And <laughs> oh, one of, well, one of my favorite things, man, I remember when in, in our, my, uh, the platoon went to Afghanistan with, dude, we all had helmets for the DPVs and, and Larry, was from two from Texas. He painted his helmet a Texas the Texas oh, yeah, color. You're and I know yeah. and I know all your stuff oh, uh, was painted that way, yeah, right? Oh yeah, my patches, everything, and the uh, the protect down there on uh, that Ronald Reagan bust in my yeah. office. That that I was wearing there during Red Wing. I ever told you the story? No. So I, I roped in with the protect. Okay, and it, it was painted up mm-hmm. like the Texas flag. Yeah. And then when I when we. When we patrolled in, when the sun would come up, I'd pull my nods out, put them in my pouch, and then put my helmet on my med bag. When the, the gunfight started in the fall, I lost it. It fell it with all my kit. Really? And then three years later, I get I was summoned out to Warcom. And the Admiral pulled me in the office and said, I got something for you. And he pulled it out of his thing. A ranger battalion was doing patrols out there and found it in, in a cache. Wow. I was like, wait, did, was somebody wearing this? Please tell me that you... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please tell me these brain yeah, fragments. Yeah, yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, all this blood. Um, but he's like, no, nah, I, mean, I, I got it back. That's that's the real one. The one down there is the helmet from the. Is it really? From the op, yeah. Wow. Well, some of my favorite stuff. And, you know, that's this is the anniversary is, man, is, of Red Wings is this week. And, and we just want to we're going to pay tribute at the end of the show. But it's one of my favorite things, Mark, is coming in to, you know, to see your memorabilia from it and to see those links and to see, you know, some of the other cool stuff that you still have from 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 that day. And um, look, I make no mistake, I was in hell. All right, I, and I was we were expendable assets. 
that's nothing. I'm, I know what it took to come get me. All right. Yeah. Everybody in, in theater had to, and back home had to, to, to work to get me out of there and bring the boys back. Make no mistake. And, uh, the, the things people send me, I, I, you know, like we talk about when I die in my will, the treasures I leave all over this country are the ones that have been sent to me. Some of them show up and people get, I can't believe it. Uh, it, it that's why I stand in there like I do all the time. Right. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's amazing. Thank y'all for that. And I for, love for those of you who send me something and you're not sure if I got it. When I do get it, man, ask these guys. It's posted up. Like, oh, I, it's, I mean, I have. It's that's what's apparent. hanging up. Not anything yeah. I earned. It's what somebody mm. else well, earned. <laughs> so listen. Welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast. I'm your host, David Rod Rutherford, here along with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. And over behind the green curtain is the wizard. <laughs> bum, 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 I'm really bum. becoming quite accustomed to that. You should. To enjoy the it. drum thing. We need that right? in the big. Uh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> maybe a kazoo. We should do a kazoo in there no kazoo. with them. No accordion. You, you need and a kazoo, a banjo. No ba- that <laughs> the next word out of my mouth was banjo because you just listed the most irritating instruments ever created, brother. Dude, why I, do you I, think I just I, it, you, you listed the them? Man. Hey, well, <laughs> my first platoon was from Kentucky, and he could pick a banjo like nobody's business, man. And it sounded good, didn't it? it did. Well, I just I just watched a special with Steve Martin and Martin Short, and Steve Martin, dude, dude, he he's an accomplished him. banjo player. He won, he, won anything, Grammy. Right? he won a Grammy for right, yeah, that's dude. Right. That thing's that. badass. So I don't know where you come off saying that thing is no, horrible. Still the most irritating instrument. <laughs> well, if somebody doesn't know how to pick it, if you don't know how to talk to it right, yeah, they make it talk that makes back. sense. Ow. That makes sense. Well, welcome to our show. If you're a first time listener, man, do we have a show in store for you? I mean, our guest today is one of my favorite people that's out there making an impact in the world, especially on social media. I, I love all the stuff. I love seeing him with our boys over at Black Rifle Coffee Company. I mean, he's just, uh, he's full of piss and vinegar. He's full of just compassion. I just love Crispy. He's going to be amazing. If if you mm. if you're coming back over and over and over for all of our shows, you're one of the ones responsible for coming up on six million downloads. Hot damn, we love you. I mean, we love mm. you. We're passionate for you because it's you, it's you, and you telling your friends, taking it out there. You've seen somebody that's struggling. You've gone to them and said, hey man. You not you need to listen to this show. It's gonna pick you up. It's gonna lift you. It's gonna get you back in the fight of life. We love you because you are help spreading the word. Because honest God, we have not spent one dime on promoting this show, doing anything out there. It's all happening mm-hmm. organically. It's on you guys, and we just yeah, love this is you. Your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you have to make it negative, dude? <laughs> we we love them. No, we absolutely do. Yeah, okay, we do. We love no, you 100%. No yeah. Word of mouth thing is the It's the, it's the best, because you know it's real, right? Because yeah. you know it's real. So thank you for participating. If you want to know more about our show, if you want to know more about what it is we do and why we're doing it, who we've had on, uh, and most importantly, if you want to read some really amazing never-quit stories, 
Because we ask our listeners, once you've heard the show, you've been inspired to send in your greatest never quit story, up, upload it into our, onto our website at tnqpodcast.com. That's tnqpodcast.com, where you can upload your greatest never quit story or the greatest story of your, your friends, your father, your mother, who we don't care. But we're creating this beautiful community, guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally page after page after page of these stories, Marcus. It's amazing. Like we were talking, it's, it's kind of one of them deals where you're in that bad spot. and It's, it's a life coach because they get out and they, they, they tell these, these stories that help people. They're, they're unique in their own because of the individual going through it. But everybody has that same kind of situation that you're going to drop into. Well, and we're connected in pain, right? right? We're and, connected I mean, in our emotional pains. I mean, giving people intel on, on situations they probably haven't even been in yet, but are, it's going to happen just because life happens, right? And, exactly. And that's, that's the cool part about it, man. It's like prepping for an op. Just, the more you listen, the more it opens up. And it does, man. I, I sit here and listen to these people. And then when I go out on the road, I, it resonates. Things that they've told me and place, places that I go now, it's It's amazing. I, I get the same thing. I mean, I now, you know, it's it's people are coming out and it's not about the videos I've done. It's more about now the show and they want to share their never quit story specifically with me. Oh, I sit. I, this, it's, it's a total stranger coming to me. And I'll sit and listen to because, hey, man, it's like I listen to the podcast. They tell you which one. Exactly. And then they, the, at the, the time they're, they're it happened, talking, yeah. they're not even talking about me or they're just, they're just like talking yeah. to me about yes. that, their their relationship with our guest. I don't think it's any better than that. No, not well, at that's all. That's what it is because no story speaks to everyone, mm. but every single story speaks to someone directly. Amen. Really? And so we put these shows out, but it gets so, uh, it's expanded so much with the reader stories because inside every single one of those are little details that connect with certain individual people when they read them. So it's just expanding the impact of this whole reach that this that our community now has. Sure, man. Explain. Hell, there's people in situations I don't even know it's a situation until they listen. They're like, oh, is this out? okay, all right, got it now. Enough. Now I know. Yep. <laughs> and it, exactly. Yep. And that's an incredible thing. That's the reason why we're doing this. You know, it's such a beautiful thing. And so please go to the website, check out those. We, if when you're there, if you feel like it, go over to our merchandise. We've got some great team, uh, never quit podcast specific shirts for sale, as well as some other team never quit swag as well. And we're getting right. ready to deliver some more swag, swag, right. swag. We're, we're working on some hats and cups and all kinds of things right. for you guys. And, and the last thing I want to say is if you want to follow us, we're all out there on social media. Please go follow Marcus at Marcus Luttrell. I'm at Team Frog Logic. And so is the wizard. He's out on social media and just search Wondering on Instagram. About the barren wasteland of the social media. Again, with the negative, bro. It's a positive Still if you fan, make it I'm positive. I'm doing my part to try to make it better. Oh, there you go. Now, now that's positive. Thank you. Thank you for that. Bittersweet. Oh, it's not bittersweet. It's only in your brain is it bittersweet. It's cool. All right. <laughs> You're cool. Thank you, wizard. Thank you. I, I, I know I'm not, but I try. All right. <laughs> Give us a little feedback before our guest comes on. Well, who, introduction. Is, who is Omar and what do we need to know? Omar Vila Crispy, originally, like we said, from Brownsville, Texas, a former U.S. Army sergeant who 
who incurred some significant injuries, uh, burns and whatnot. We'll get into some detail on that. He's now become a motivational speaker, a motivator to thousands upon thousands of people, also a professional power lifter. Um, his military service started. He decided to join when he was 15 years old after September 11th. That's where he was. So three years later, he enlists Army Infantry, first deployment, 2004, second deployment, 2006. He's in Baghdad. Leading right into his, his injury. And he got shot in his first deployment, too. He did. Yeah. yeah he took around his He's first deployment. He's a Purple deployment. Heart winner, yeah. Yep. Comes back in 2006 and uh, in the lovely neighborhood of Atamiya, Baghdad. Fantastic little neighborhood there. <laughs> Anyways. Brian Real uh, Estate. <laughs> yeah. His group is patrolling through that area when uh, they take a minor IED hit, which then gets followed on in this complex ambush attack. By a major, uh, they later determined to be about a 200-pound buried IED. Um, this directly strikes his Humvee, which launches, you know, that's a, what is that, about an eight to 10,000-pound vehicle, depending on what year and edition of armor package it had. It launches this thing into the air several feet. This starts a massive fire. He himself is caught on fire in this process. Uh, one of his teammates is immediately killed. Two more on fire inside he recovers himself, and I'm sure we'll get into some more detail on this. He recovers himself, is able to return fire while on while he him returned fire while he himself is on fire. Say that twenty times right, fast to cover his teammates, as they, so they could uh, so they could dismount the vehicle. He eventually himself is forced to, due to rounds cooking off, climbs to the roof, jumps off onto the ground, breaks both femurs. Wow. He later, you know, wakes up uh, three months later, VA hospital, San Antonio, um, and goes through a long, long process of healing. Of healing. Uh, burns are horrible things to recover from. Long story short, he is known now for a lot of work he does with charities, uh, various veteran organizations. He has a massive social media following, as well as one of the, I, I believe, one of the personal things he really enjoys doing is helping burn children um, and being a a role model and a, a light to help guide them through a very difficult process. He's also set, uh, he has a couple Paralympic world records in powerlifting. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> He's quite a gifted athlete, even now uh, with, with these injuries. So I think it's going to be fascinating to, to get him on. And Amazing what those injuries unlock into the mental capacity. Right? That's a great point. Yeah. We're going to have to get into that. You know what I mean? That transformation. Yeah. Sure. yeah. What, what have been does? capable of. Full, before yeah, and full after, force, right? right? I love it. But well, if he wouldn't have gotten hurt, he would have never known that. Nope. The, things, the things they discover going through that process, for sure. And the outside of your, as it's healing and it's been corrupted and damaged or even broken, man, the inside of you is changing because of what had happened on the outside. Uh -huh. It's like making a mental condition for it, depending on which direction you go, man. It's that, look what he did. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, let's get crispy on and man. Deep in the heart of Texas. Marcus, dude, I'm telling you, we've had a lot of people on this show that have been blown up. There's a lot of people on this story that have gone on to do incredible, amazing things after suffering 
some catastrophic injuries, right? For But, you know, every one of these people has this powerful story to get on about how they got back in the fight, how they got out there, how they started to have more profound impact. But, brother, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this one for me is a big one because not only is he out there making the very best of the world around him and doing it like he's still on fire, but he also is getting out there and helping kids as well, too. And you know that is near and dear to my heart, man. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's one thing. We all have our never quit moments. And then there's levels of that. But when the injury that you sustain during that moment, stay, it's, it's visible and stays with you on the outside. That that in itself is tough to deal with and get past as well. That's what time mm-hmm. heals all wounds. Right. And that it, it's tough for people to get through that. But when you find somebody, you see somebody who's been through more than you have and has a better attitude than you do. I mean, what what what, what do I got to <laughs> bitch about Just, at all in my life <laughs> when I'm standing next to Omar? You know what I mean? There's nothing. So. Let's let's bring him on. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the show, Mr. Omar Crispy Avilia. Brother, welcome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm excited. Dude, I, I'm, you know, I, I just, I told you when we first got on before we started, it is a true privilege and honor, man. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm close with Evan and, and, uh, friends with some of those others, but to watch you and your progression and how you're making an impact in the world you're around you by giving ever uh, the people that you come in t- contact with perspective and your perspective, in my opinion, is spot on in so many ways. So it is again, a true honor and privilege you being here. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I've been, uh, I've had a lot of messages on Instagram, people telling me to do, reach out to you guys through the podcast. But I, you know, I didn't want to intrude or, or be that guy and be like, hey, you need to have me on. So when you guys reached out, I was kind of excited. So I'm not going to lie. I think uh, a lot of the guys uh, are going to be excited when they hear that, I, that, that we're doing this together. Oh, my God. We, I, you know, I, I read them all, too. I, people have been constantly, get crispy on, get crispy on. And unfortunately, because our recording schedule is is pretty sporadic, you know, Wizard is only around for a little bit of time here. You know, when we do set up, it's only like eight people at a time. And whereas, you know, everybody else, they're they're doing the podcast every week and it's consistent and it's all this. So it, it I knew yeah. at some point we it was we were gonna we were gonna get yeah man and I'm just again so right. awesome. All right, before we jump in, you know to to the fire, so to speak, about your never quit story. We have got to get warmed up. And if I use any more like flame fire pumps, you know, that you're not cool, just say, Rod, shut up, would you please? Enough. They're, they're getting old now. <laughs> <laughs> but we got to get warmed up. We got to get loosened up. We got to develop some awesome rapport. So what we're going to do is we're going to put you through what we call the mad minute. Now, I'm telling you what, I know you've been confronted with some hard things in your life, but nothing in your life has prepared you for the intensity for the brutality, for the horrific nature <laughs> of these questions that we're about ready to throw out you. So are you ready, Crispy? Come on. All right, Marcus, fire away. All right, brother. If you could change your name to anything, what would it be? Uh, man, I'd probably say <laughs> either uh, – man, I forgot the, the character's name. Um, 
big dude from the X-Men that had the big helmet that just runs through the wall. Juggernaut. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So I I guess that answers the last question, too, which is what's your favorite cartoon? Yeah, yeah, good pass over like that. Dude, that's awesome. All right, Wizard. All right, man. What is uh, the worst vacation or worst vacation moment you've ever had? Uh, When I visit California. California I went general. out there and it was just horrible. Uh, the, I whole state the whole state in itself? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, not, not the whole state, just a certain part. Because I've been to different places and it was it was okay. You know, being a two-way guy, it was just kind of, uh, it was rough for me. There's something un-American about some of it, right? Not that I, because I, I, obviously we grew up in our in San Diego and all that, but there's just something about kind of your civil liberties and freedoms that... Just seems a little little tight out there. Restrictive. Yeah, hell yeah. (laughs) All right, here you go. If you could travel back in time to any moment in history and go out and have a beer with somebody and just for like an hour and a half, who would that person be and when? Uh, I will go back to World War II era and sit down with uh, General Omar Bradley. Nice, oh, dude. Yeah, just I've always been a big fan of World War II stuff, and it's always just kind of I've always told people if I if I, if I would have gotten the, the option to pick what war I wanted to be in, it would have been World War II. Hmm. And then the cool thing about it is, obviously, my name's Omar as well, and I actually was a gunner and a Bradley from time to time. So it's <laughs> there's there's little pieces there that kind of match. So I just that- became a fan of the guy. That's awesome, man. I, I I never would have expected that, man. That's really cool. What would you like to ask him, for example? Yeah, just strategies, uh, you know, what he was thinking uh, when he sent certain troops to certain parts mm-hmm. of Germany. Um, just to, just kind of pick his brain on, on just different scenarios that, that took place and uh, how he would feel knowing that he was going to be replaced. Yeah, that's wild, right? Having the future perspective as well, too. It'd be something to stand next to. Just if you could travel back and stand next to him and even just watch it go down. And yeah. that's on both sides of it, too. To actually be in the room when, when Hitler and all them guys were giving the commands for that crazy ass. I, I, yeah, that's something. That war in itself, man. That's all wars, really, but that one, god dang. <laughs> all right, Marcus, fire away. All right, brother, what's the last thing you really screwed up and no one found out about? <laughs> <laughs> Shit! Uh, Until now. I, I think I went. Uh, we were hunting somewhere, and I accidentally uh, overshot the animal. But for some reason, the bullet dropped faster than it should have. And I made a great shot, and everybody in the blind was like, "Yeah, you got him!" And I just looked around. I was like, "Yeah, I did." <laughs> <laughs> yes, That's I did. right, I did. You better believe it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's like, awesome! Yeah, had a great shot. I was like, "Thanks." It's an 800-yard shot on a prawhorn, and uh, oh man, yeah, it, it, it's, I, I timed it a little wrong, and, and it just hit him right smack in the middle. So I was kind of happy. Awesome! That's a good shot because these things move out; they don't stay in one spot very long. 800 yards—it's mm. a good punch. Yeah, it is. Right. <clears throat> All right. If you could pick a sidekick to accompany you through life, would you pick Walter from The Big Lebowski, Chewbacca from Star Wars? George Costanza from Seinfeld or Tonto from the Long Ra- Lone Ranger? 
<laughs> Damn, I, I think I'm gonna go with Chewbacca just because. Uh, <laughs> I kind of need some muscle next to me. You know what I mean? They're gonna see this six something and six two guy walk in. Ain't nobody gonna mess with the bar. So no, I go with Chewbacca. Uh, All right, I mean, because I know the guys you listed, right? Chewbacca. Yeah. So if you walk walking through life with that Joker, man, well, every day is going to be interesting. One with an alien, two with Bigfoot, the alien. Yeah. Oh, bro, that's genius. I love it. I love it. Especially uh, if you try to dress him up in normal clothes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If there's ever a moment in the future that you want to see happen, what is that moment? Oh, man. That's a... Dang. That's a big uh, one. That's I know. A broad question. Yeah. That is. A, I mean, anything. Anything, dude. <laughs> anything. Freedom Damn. to choose. Uh, Space Force. I definitely want to be part of that. <laughs> hey man, I'm there with you. Oh, now, dude, dude. <laughs> did you watch JT's tryout video? He just I, posted. I did, dude. I did. Oh my god. Absolutely. I be, be part of that. They got to have some knuckle draggers on that force, right? I mean, dude, because every movie the, they do. Bro, bro. <laughs> so we don't have to be brilliant or science or anything. No. Just be like, hey, look, man, I halfway know what space means, and I, I can carry a rifle. Let's go. <laughs> dude. I should be a store gunner. <laughs> That's what everybody's been posting is the door gunner post. I, 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 I'd be, I'd be, I wouldn't be uh, terrified of parachuting in space. You jump out of the plane, he's like, <laughs> I don't know, I'm not gonna crash uh, no. burn down to the ground. Uh, all right, Marcus. Final question. All right. What's the dumbest way you've ever injured yourself? <laughs> Going to war. Uh, <laughs> on the bottom line. <laughs> Go from there. <laughs> no kidding. Man, I do a lot of powerlifting and I move a little bit of weight here and there. And uh, I think the dumbest way I got injured one time is i was actually benching pretty heavy and i got up too fast and i pulled my groin (laughs) everybody was like were you deadlifting were you squatting well you know what was the story and i was like i just got up really fast (laughs) (laughs) i was out for a couple weeks oh that's epic (laughs) yeah in the gym that's where that's that's dumbest ways the dumbest thing dude i almost broke my kneecap the other day getting into my shower well (laughs) and i can't i don't even toss steel around anymore and it's not not a lot i'm in there you ever had one of those bands break on you smack you in the face (laughs) (laughs) not only do you look like a a dipshit i mean it it hurts it's a giant rubber band in your face blood it just draws everything under up to that point right like your face like man i just got I, I saw God for a second. I got hit so hard. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much. That is the Mad Minute. Well, it turns out it was like 10 minutes, but we want to thank you for participating. But the reason why you're here, Crispy, the reason why our, our listeners keep coming back in droves is because they're they're in a spot in their lives where – they're going through some stuff. They need a challenge, as we all face on a regular basis. But they're just searching. They're, they, they don't have that little trigger. They don't have the ability to ignite that fire in their gut to really climb feet first, head first into the fight of life. And so if you could, without further ado, would you please share your greatest never quit story or stories? Yeah, uh, you know, 
um, I guess I'll touch on the day that I got wounded, and that's kind of where everything started for me. Uh, you know, the mentality of never quit, keep pushing forward, and, you know, things could always be worse. So um, I guess I'll jump into that. Uh, I was in Iraq in a town called Adamia, um uh, on a deployment in 2006, 2008 with the 1st Infantry Division. We were stationed out of Germany. Um, so we got there. This was the last place that Saddam Hussein had been seen before he went into hiding. Uh, so the area hadn't been, I want to say, hadn't, hadn't been patrolled in about three years to, wow. until we got there. So they had a little bit of time to, you know, set up a stronghold and, and, and place IEDs all over the place. Uh, we did a left seat, right seat with, with the guys before us. Um, left, uh, I think we were 10 months into the deployment when, uh, you know, we got award from our command. That's the first year that they extended us from 12 months to 15 months. Ouch. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you guys are what, six months, six month tours or whatever. A yeah, couple and, months, yeah. couple <laughs> weeks here yeah, and there yeah. and then we're the, gone. Yeah, it's, it gets <laughs> hot over there, man. It Dude, gets, sandstorms. I mean, it's Skype it's, goes out. No, yeah, no right? internet. No in the internet. Right? Dude, man, special no, ops. No. We can't handle that. <laughs> so we got extended uh, 15 months. Um, I got hit at 11 months, so we should have kind of been moving, getting ready to move out of our AO to allow someone else to come in. Um, so it all started May 14th, man. Just like any other day, we went out on patrol. It was early in the morning. It was about 6. You know, we, we got ready. Uh, I mounted my, uh, my Humvee, got my 50 cal ready, got my ammo, made sure I had extra hand grenades, had everything in the truck. We roll out, and uh, I want to say about an hour into the patrol, uh, a small AED goes off in the uh, last vehicle. We were, it was five vehicle convoy doing patrols. Small AED hits the back, and we kind of pull over, assess the situation, you know, see what's going on. Nothing happened. It was this flat tire, uh, the spare tire on the Humvee, so we keep pushing forward. I'm going to say about 10, 15 minutes later, we start being engaged um, from our 6 o'clock. We're traveling 12 o'clock. We're second from our, uh, from our 6 o'clock. And uh, the first two vehicles have to push forward because the, the, the fire that was coming, the fire, the uh, bullets that were coming by was too heavy that they couldn't turn on. If they would have turned head on, you know, the gunners could have gotten hit pretty bad. Right. So first two vehicles push forward and... I was in the third vehicle, and we turned. As soon as we turned, I started unloading my 50 cal. Uh, dropped about two or three of them. Uh, they kind of stopped. And as soon as we all came back in the line, so our vehicle became the first vehicle, uh, the cold convoy, and we start patrolling, trying to find these guys. We get reengaged again. We take another left, and as we take that left, um, as soon as we did, we went over this bump, and... Like I mentioned earlier, man, just being there for over you know eleven months at the time, and mm. we we knew the area pretty well. I, I knew how to it's get your back. backyard, and, and, huh? It was so. Uh, I was trying to process that speed bump and, and what what was going on. I was like, this this should not be here. And as I was doing that, the loudest IED that I had ever heard went off. And at, by this time, I've been blown up. A handful of times. Wow. And this, this by far was the loudest one. And uh, the guys behind us said the vehicle went up about four to five feet in the air. And you guys know, up armor Humvees are, are, aren't. They're heavy uh, as shit. Right. Yeah. Heavy. 
So later on, we found out that had actually. Uh, and mine, and you're tunnel. in the turret, right? You're up top. I am in the turret. Okay. The, there's five of us in the vehicle: Gunner, TC, uh, my. Um, so sorry, the driver, the TC, Gunner, and two passengers in the back. So it was a total of five of us. So what they did is they actually made a tunnel from one of the houses into the road and started packing it with explosives. Wow. Um, later on, we found out it was 200 pounds of explosives that they had packed in there. Holy. And um, in a way, I guess you can say we got mm. kind of lucky because they were supposed to detonate the IED right in the middle of the Humvee, killing everybody inside. <clears throat> I think the guy panicked a little bit and hit it at the end once the Humvee was almost over. And that's kind of what blew us up. Well, when that happened was the fuel tank, all that diesel spread everywhere and caught on fire. Wow. We came down. Hmm. And uh, I remember being on my gun, and when we made the impact on the ground, my legs gave out. And I fell down towards the right passenger where Harky was at. And uh, I remember looking into Harky's eyes, and there were, you know, white as can be. Harky had been killed wow. instantly. I mean, he, I don't think he felt anything. He, he was gone. So I remember laying on his lap and, um, you know, I remember, uh, just everything. It was kind of me laying there asking God, um, you know, for forgiveness. I had lost faith, uh, in him at 11 months. We had lost the, in the total of 36 guys in, in our whole oh, battalion. Omar. Mm-hmm. We had lost about 15 just in our company, you know, guys that we got to see every day. We, we were in a cop in, in Iraq and it was very, we were far away from everybody. So, Everybody was so close, so, you know, every other every other couple of days you were losing a, a friend and a really close brother, and it was just, you know, when stuff like that started happening, you know, I started questioning God, like, why are you, why are you allowing things like this to happen? Can I inter- ask a real quick question before you go on? Did you have a lot of faith before that in your life? I did. I did. I, I always been, uh, you know, faith has always been a big part of, of my family and me, and, you know, we always went to church. and did, Okay. And, just good christening people. He's from Brownsville, Texas. He goes to church. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm not from Texas. Insult, Listen, I'm all sorry, you, I should have cut that off earlier. You guys, <laughs> you guys, your text, you have your own Texas language. I know nothing about it. <laughs> South Texas, you gotta yeah, go to South church. Texas boy, man. <laughs> um, so you know, like I remember just laying in the middle of that turret and and looking around and um. I looked to my left and I saw Fleming jump out of the Humvee on fire and everything was so slow yet so fast. And, you know, like I said, I, I remember laying on that Humvee and I remember, you know, asking God of forgiveness for uh, losing faith. And I started asking him to uh, take care of my brother and my sister, let my brother step up and, and be that, that older brother for my sister because uh, I'm the oldest of three. And uh, I remember my dad, my dad did a little time in the military. He was a tanker. So I, I kind of understood uh, that my dad was going to be okay. You know, he, he was going to yeah. understand and was just going to handle it the right way. But I was more worried about my brother, my sister, and my mom. Wow. And so I was, asking, you know, I was asking him to take care of them. And as all this was going on, I just remember looking to my left, and that's when I saw Fleming jump out of the Humvee. And like I said, everything was so fast yet so slow. And I remember watching him run on fire towards behind the Humvee. And I, after that, I lost, I lost sight of him. And same thing with our driver. He jumped out, and I couldn't see him anymore. And Compos was still in the truck. 
he couldn't get out because his equipment was burning into the seat and he was glued in. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember he touched me and he's like, get out, get out now. And I just looked at him and I said, now, man, I'm done. You know, it's either to me, it was either you come home or you don't. I, I never understood the uh, that there was get wounded, come home and live somewhat of a normal life. That wasn't an option. Uh, part Plan. Yeah, that wasn't part of the plan. And to me, you know, just dying combat, like everybody knows, it was going to be glory for me. You know, that, that's, that's kind of, yeah, if I was going to go, that's the way that I wanted to go. And, <clears throat> you know, in the midst of things, he was just, he kept pushing me to get out. He said, like, get out of here. You need to get out. Can, I, I don't, I hate cut you off, but this is a, you know, everybody talks about these moments, or not everybody, but people that have been in those, those death moments and made peace. Did you feel, other than, and, and maybe, did you feel some sense of relief in that? Did you feel some sense of calmness? What were you feel like? And, cause, and I know it's crazy to ask this, but could you slow it down yeah. and describe it? Yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, just making peace with God, man. At that moment, right then and there, I didn't really care what was going to happen. I had a, a sense of, of peace. Um and just comfort. I knew that I was going to be okay because I had asked for forgiveness, and I knew that you know he was going to answer my prayers. And at that moment, right then and there, it was just—I was relieved. I said, "Okay, here we go. This is it." Awesome. So I just kind of laid there, just waiting for it to happen. And uh, you know, I was late there, and and Comp was telling me to get out. Um, I give God one hundred percent credit to this day, man. I felt this inner light in me kind of something that just grasped me and said, not today. This is not what you die. Get up. Amen. And, uh, I got up and, uh, there was a couple of insurgents on, on the rooftop. And I remember manning my 50 car and I started shooting at them. And as I did that, since the vehicle at this point, there was flames everywhere. Uh, some of the rounds started cooking off. And when I went to take another shot, one of the rounds actually exploded inside the, um, the 50 cal and kind of blew up the barrel. Really? And at that point, yeah, it, huh. it, it, it just started popping off. I think wow. it was, it was about to pull the trigger. It's when that round kind of came out wrong or something. And it's just, all I remember is it exploded in front of me. And, um, at that point I said, okay, I need to get out. So I started looking for a game plan. And as a gunner, you know, we're always taught to either jump in front of the engine and then down or through the back. And uh, I, I couldn't do either of those things because both sides were on fire. If I would have jumped in the um, uh, in front of the hood, I, I would have gone straight down with the engine, and that that would have been it. And the back, there was there was no question. I, I couldn't go back there. It was all on fire from the diesel. I'm sorry, Max. Were, were you were you Nomex'd up? Was that what? What were you wearing? Were you, did you have Nomex on, or were you just wearing your coveralls? <laughs> you didn't have that stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, sure. That's covered in BDU nylon. It's covered in BDU nylon. Yeah, BDU nylon. Just, uh, right. It's just gonna melt too. The most so melting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get none of that stuff. I'll, I'll touch on that later because it's funny when I was in the hospital. Um, but you know, so I uh, I decide. You know, I got up on the. Uh, I was getting out of the turret and I was getting out. Like I mentioned earlier, we had extra ammo and. And grenades and stuff, and something exploded in the Humvee. I, I don't remember what it was. I, I think it was one of the grenades, but as I was getting out, it blew up and caught a bunch of shrapnel on my right leg. And uh, 
my right foot took most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, we ended up amputating the foot. Um, but as I was getting out, like I said, all that stuff went off, and I knew I needed to get out. <clears throat> and as I was getting out, I jumped to the left side of the Humvee, and when I hit the ground, um, I broke both of my femurs. They just popped out. Wow. And I remember looking God, at them, man. and I said, oh, shit. And I remember being on fire. And I, you know, immediately stopped, drop, and roll. And I mean, I had already dropped and everything. So I started rolling. And uh, let me tell you, when I find out who invented the stop, drop, and roll, I'm going to sue the <laughs> shit out of him because it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> that just looked like somebody rolling on the ground on fire. <laughs> you, you, know, <laughs> you know some marketing asshole from the fire department back in the 50s came up with that shit, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, thankfully, one of the guys um, from the last Humvee ran all the way to the front where I was at and put me out with a fire extinguisher. And uh, he said, close your eyes. And I was like, why? And before I can say why, he just sprayed me everywhere and um, he put me out. And he said, I'll be right back. Uh, let me go get the medic. And I said, OK. Um, before I jumped out, I, was, I managed to grab my M4. And I started pushing myself away from the truck because I can still feel the fire. And I pushed myself towards, this, to, towards the door of the house. And I took three shots at the door. And uh, just to make sure somebody was coming, you know, I, I could drop them lucky shot or something. And unfortunately, no one ever came out. <clears throat> so I pushed myself closer to the door and I started scanning the rooftops and I just kept popping shots here and there. I finally ran out of that mag. And um, as I was laying there, one of the other guys ran by and looked down and I kind of moved and he stopped and said, are you alive? And I remember just looking up at him and saying, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Moments of truth. <laughs> That's so yeah. awesome. Man. Hold on, let me check. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah. So he's like, "All right, man, we got to get you to the uh, to the Humvee so we can uh, start treating you." And I said, "Okay," but I think my legs are broken. And uh, he takes a quick glance at me. And he goes, "No, no, no, you're okay." <laughs> and I said, "All right, cool." <laughs> so he picks me up, and I start putting all my pressure on him because uh, I mean, my legs were jacked up. And we start walking, and as we get closer to the uh, Humvee, he uh, goes to open the door, and he goes, all right, man, I'm going to have to let you go, because I got to open this door. It's pretty heavy. And I said, cool, do it. And um, as he's doing that, he lets go of me, and all the weight, all my weight went back into my legs, and my femur was broke again. Oh. And I remember just seeing oh. him, the Humvee, and, and looking at the sky, and I hit the ground so hard. And you're like, and, you uh, did he, ask you, did he ask you if you were alive again? I'd have been like, hold on, let me see if I can fly. <laughs> no, can't fly. Is there a beer in my hand? No, I'm, I'm still alive. <laughs> right. he, he hovers over me and he goes, are you okay? And I remember looking at him like, I, I told you my legs were broken. <laughs> you He's idiot. Like, Man, stop asking me <laughs> stupid questions. <laughs> Give me the truck. And as we're doing that, I remember uh, hearing two uh, two Blackhawks. Now I know they're Blackhawks, but I remember hearing two birds flying over us. And in the back of my head, I was like, holy shit, this is the fastest medevac ever. Whoever called that nine line, holy shit. Well, what had happened is the uh, there was two Blackhawks in the, in the area, and uh, they had seen the smoke pop up from the Humvee. So they came to check it out. And then they, you know, they, they set up comms with the guys in the ground and they, they told them what was going on. Well, in that instant, there was about 30 to 40 insurgents coming our way. 
And uh, those two Blackhawks were able to come down and just smoke them all. I mean, nice. both of them came down and smoked them. And, uh, you know, there I am like, all right, cool. Am I getting on the bird? And they're like, no, no, that's not a medevac bird. I'm like, shit. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> I christen you medical bird. <laughs> that's what the medic's job is. Hey, right? like, hey get, come on down. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, you know, they, they fired and they took those guys out and they got up back in the air and they said they were going to go refuel because they were, they were running missions earlier and they were low on fuel. But uh, the guy, my guy picks me up, puts me inside the Humvee. Uh, he's like, all right, man, the medic's coming. Stay in here. Um, they're going to work on you. And I said, okay. Well, like I mentioned earlier, uh, at that point, we had lost so many guys that we were getting replacements. Uh-huh. And the driver on the new Humvee was his first day. On the ground, first day in combat, first day in theater, no first day everything. No way. And uh, can't blame the guy. He's freaking out a little bit. You know, he's kind of caught off guard. You know, first day, I'm sure he's like, is every day going to be like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. Dang, man. Yeah, he's like, this wasn't in my contract. <laughs> <laughs> the recruiter lied to yeah. me. <laughs> So as soon as he, you know, he's screaming and he, he he's, he's scared. And like I said, I can't blame the guy, man. Honestly, like it, it's just, damn, what a scenario for the first day, you know? Yeah. So I did what any other NCO would have done. I reached over and I slapped the shit out of him and I told him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> How come that works yeah. in every branch? That That's like the be all. <laughs> slap. <laughs> slap out of it. That's in the handbook, I think. It's in oh, the yeah. blue jacket manual. Not that anymore, you know. You can't do shit like that anymore. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, but he uh, he calmed down and I said, dude, it, it's okay. Relax. And as I was doing that, our medic jumped in the uh, Humvee. And, you know, he grabbed my right arm and starts giving me an IV. And um, I remember looking at him and I just got this this freaking urge of just drinking water, man. I was so thirsty. And I said, Doc, give me a water bottle, Doc. I'm thirsty. And he's like, I can't give you any water. You're severely burnt. He's like, we got to get you in. Um, I can't give you any water. And I looked at him. I was like, dude, I don't rank you. Give me some fucking water now. uh, he's like all right and he gives me a water bottle and i made the biggest mistake of my life i drank a little bit and i poured the rest in my head oh no yeah well all the chemicals from the uh ied you know all that stuff and the fire extinguisher all went my eyes and uh i went blind for a little bit and um you know medics working on me and the driver doesn't know where the hell we're at and at that point, I uh, I grabbed the radio. It said, give me the radio. I want to see what's going on. He gives me the radio. And, uh, you know, I hear, we're going to start pushing. We're going to start pushing. And I remember asking him, I was like, where are we in the formation? He goes, we're the first vehicle. And I was like, shit. So I called up the company, and I told them I got, you know, I got one KIA, and I got four severely wounded. Um, they were able to pull out compost. One of the guys ran to the Humvee caught a round in a side plate that was cooking off from uh, inside the Humvee. Caught, I think it was a 5.56 round that hit him in the side plate. Was able to pull out Compos, and they pulled out Harky as well. Obviously, Harky was was dead. And um, I remember humming over the radio and said, first vehicle, we're pushing out, we're pushing out now. we got to get out of here. Um, at that point, our QRF has showed up, and they were already set up, you know, they were engaging the enemy and we were pushing forward to get us out of the kill zone and, and into getting uh, some medical aid. 
<clears throat> and I remember telling myself I can either panic or I can stay calm and guide this guy back so we can all get back safe and, uh, and start getting treated. So I knew exactly where we were. I knew exactly where we needed to turn and how to get back to the cop. So I put my hand on the shoulder and I said, hey, we're going to go straight for about 300 yards. You're going to take a left. There's a pink house on the right-hand side. And we start pushing, and he's like, okay, I see it, I see it. I said, take that left. And um, I remember this house, for some weird reason, they had a huge bell in their front yard, just a massive bell from a church or something. Huh. And I said, you're going to see this bell in that corner. And he's like, I see it, I see it coming up. I said, you're going to take a right. And then after that, you're going to gun it. You start seeing the cop. Our cop was literally in, in the middle of the city. Or we were, I'm sorry, we were in the corner of the city, but we were within the city. Mm-hmm. And I said, are you going to start seeing it? And he goes, I see it. So I called the up company. I said, open the gates, open the gates. We're coming in. So we roll in. And um, I remember we only had three medics as we were rolling in. And that was four of us wounded. And I pulled up. And the, one of the medics opened the door. And uh, they tried to grab me. But when he grabbed me, my skin was burnt off. That when he did this, all oh. the skin came off my arms. And... Uh, I pushed him away and I closed the door and I said, go get the other guys. They're worse than I am. And they're looking at me like, what? I said, yeah, go get the other guys. It's three of you and there's four of us. And, um, finally another guy opens the door and it happened to be, uh, we were, there was an SF group right next to us. You know, we hardly ever saw them or anything, but they were there and their medic heard all the shit that was going on. So he ran over to come help. And I had, had a couple conversations with him in the past, and I knew who he was. So he opened the door. He's like, hey, I'm here. I'm here. We need to get you out. And I got you. And I was like, okay. So he pulls me out. Uh, they get a stretcher. They load me up in a stretcher. We go inside the aid station. And uh, at that point, I remember they, they put me in. I was one of the first ones. And he starts working on me. And one of the other medics jumps on me and starts working on me as well. And uh, then he kind of moves away. And my other two medics start working on me. They had stabilized one of the other guys. And Compa was the last one that came in. And I remember looking at him and I was like, okay, man, we're going home. And at that point, he wasn't talking or anything. He just nodded his head. And I was like, okay, so I'll get in there. And they start treating us. And I just remember looking at the medic and I was like, dude, I'm hurting. And he's like, are you? I was like, yep. Yeah. And my adrenaline had gone away from everything. When, we, when, I, when my body hit that bed, my adrenaline was gone. Right. Mm-hmm. From helping this guy to get back in everything because i realized that we were in the cop and we were safe and so all that adrenaline ran, went away and i started feeling the pain and this is pain that i've never ever felt in my life oh my god i haven't even experienced that now and i've done all the stupid shit and I, I i haven't felt pain like that and uh i remember telling him i was like i need some morphine and he's like hold on hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna get you right now hold on and i just kept asking for it and then he finally sticks me and I was in La La Land, man. I was just happy. <laughs> hey, <And> butterflies. There's <laughs> 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 my puppy. <laughs> Did you just say there's my puppy? Yeah, there's my puppy. I forgot about that. Um, went to, and then, dude, that's right. I forgot about the crash. Because when, when they put me on the gurney the first time yeah. when I on the bird, and I actually knew that when you see your boys around you and they're helping you, like, you know, you're safe. You're only safe when you guys are around you. Right. And that's, I didn't yeah. have that. So my adrenaline and fear, this is going through hell week again. Yeah. So, so I did the hell week crash afterwards. Wow. And, uh, 
Oh, I forgot about that. I was like, I'm, and that I'll never forget that doctor. If she ever listens to these, I, I love that lady so much, man. I've never been able to see her again, but she leaned over. She's like, baby, are you in pain? I was like, I am now. <laughs> and she juiced me up, dude. I got the pennies hit me in the back of the throat. I was like, what? I, puppy. <laughs> yeah, it's, you'll never forget that moment. The, the first time. Yeah, I, when they hit you, I the never, first time. Yeah. Yeah, I never had anything like that in my system before, man. And I was like, what? Uh-huh. Same here. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that was it was pretty fucked up because I remember grabbing one of my medics and I grabbed him and I said, "Dude, if I die, it's on you." Oh and, no way! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you take that with you. That's why I always led with. If I had to work, I was like, "Hey man, you probably not gonna make it out of this. I'm sorry, but I'm the only medic you got." <laughs> <laughs> That's some twisted shit. Yeah, yeah, you must. I'm, sorry. I'm lucky now that he lives. He lives probably 20 minutes from me, and and I get to see him every now and then. And That's you know, cool. Since then, he's retired out of the military. But yeah, every time I see him, I'm like, "Dude, I owe you another pack of beer, another six pack. Here you go." That's and, cool. And, um, I still talk with the, the <laughs> medic who got a hold of me. Oh, tra- oh, T.O., he was in, yeah, he, yeah, he's coming out too, man. He's one of the main ones I keep talking to. I don't know, something. Medics, about baby. Him. Yeah, you know, they he's right there. Always taking, man, I'll never love you too, yeah. brother, man. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things, man, like, like growing up and watching all those those military movies, I never really understood the brotherhood till I was part of it. And, uh, you know, I remember always watching and reading stuff about, you know, two World War veterans get together every Sunday and, and share a drink, or or they go out to eat, and you know they stay in touch. I never really understood it. You know, you grew up with your friends in high school, and you play football, and you do all this cool stuff, and you think you're going to be boys for the rest of your lives. But you know, you both grow up, and, and you kind of go separate. You know, you go separate ways, separate different different lives and yep. different lifestyles. But man, we're the brother from the military, and, and that person that ex- has experienced that traumatic. Uh, incident with you, and you, you you tend to stick with that person. You tend to reach out to them more than you reach out to anyone else. And and there's just that connection there that it doesn't matter if a week goes by, a month or a year. When when you see that person, you go right back to where you left off the last time you saw them. Most powerful, well, in that most critical moment. I mean, you know how you're reminded of how far this person's willing to go with you, and that's the beautiful thing about the military man is it strips us out of our up. Uh, bringing our lives that you're you're comfortable with, whether guys have money or whether they're poor. And when you're out there going through that crap, if you're the poor guy on the ground and and the rich kids taking care of you, the medic saving your life, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter where he's from or anything. That bond is formed and vice versa too. Even if, you know, the poor kids, the medic and the rich kids on the ground, wherever they came from, that's kind of ticks in the back of your head. And you're like, man, this guy's willing to give it. It Nothing else mattered. It's the most primitive form of creating the, it's being reborn, man. Basically. Yeah. It's the unconditional love we all hope to find in our lives on a regular basis. Yeah. Reborn it truly with that person, happens right in that there, moment. Man. All right. So after the ins- uh, all right, take us to the point where now, obviously, because you've been burned on the majority of your body, you you know you're facing amputation. Take us from that point forward, and what what that struggle was like too, crispy. Um. So, man. After all was said and done, I had suffered 75% burns to the body, third and fourth degree burns, and I had a metatorsal amputation on the right leg, which is kind of like the diabetics get, you know, just half of the foot is gone. 
So uh, that's due to the um, the explosion of the stuff that was going in. They had to cut half of the foot. They actually found cancer in one of the bones from all the chemicals and everything that was there. Wow. Uh, so they actually had to put pull the whole bone out of one toe all the way out, and then they, they you know, they amputated halfway. And, uh, man, the, the most uh, complications, I think, uh, being a burn guy is – Dude, infections, worst, man. man. It's worst. the worst. Dang, man. Uh, you can work so in the, the burn word. That's tough, brother. Yeah, oh, dude, that smells that, crazy there. Even when I go back now, man, I'll, every every time I step in and and I go visit a new guy or I go visit a kid that's been really wounded or, or so on and so on, every time I step into the burn, burn ward, it's just that smell comes at you and everything just plays back mm. and you're like, shit. Can, can you walk oh, us through the intensity of being a burn victim and what is required for you day in and day day out in that recovery? Because I don't think a lot of people understand the magnitude of what that suffering is like. Yeah. So like I said, infections is the worst. So being that I was burnt 75%, they act every that 25% of my body that I wasn't burned has face, head, back, or some of my back, some of my arms, some of my legs had to be grafted. So they use this piece grater and they essentially take the first layer of your skin and they use it to stretch it to put it on my body to, to cover those burns. It's pretty much like a Band-Aid on. But once that's done, that's when you start running the complications of infections and the graft not taking. So it had to be done a couple different times. Oh. But once it takes, they put you on this metal bed and they take you to the shower and they got to scrape off oh. the dead skin. The braiding. And... Uh, yeah, the first time they did that, man, I remember them. Oof. I used to hate seeing that freaking metal bed, every tower metal bed that they used to bring all the time. It was it was the worst because every time they laid me on it, they had to scratch uh, every single part on my arms, legs, back, but everywhere. It was just needed to be scraped off so the new skin could be born again and, and just come out stronger. And I remember laying in that bed, man, and every time they did it in the shower, I was just passed out because the pain was was too much. Wow. That I would wake up in my room with new bandages, not knowing what happened a couple hours later. And how long was that process? How long were those showers? Uh, that was the first three months. It was every day. Oh, Brother. Every day, so oh. for a total of the three months, and not including the other months that I was in an induced coma, uh, because they wanted to keep me calm and make sure I was recovering well, so I wouldn't be moving too much. And that was first. So the induced coma was first. Was first. You wake up, the grass, uh, then the showers. Do they have to give you an episiotomy anywhere? Cut the skin? They have to actually cut the flesh yeah, because you're... Episiotomy, yeah. Physio yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. When I first got to the hospital, I was so swollen just because of the burns and everything. I was very, very swollen. I mean, I look like the thing, dude, from, from Fantastic Four. Right. Just red and very swollen. So they had to cut certain parts so I could just start coming back down because it was just it was too much. Yeah, so they they did they did that a couple of times and skin grabs. Um. In this, Omar, in this dark time, in this pain, in this, you know, obviously, I'm assuming, 
you know, because we've had so many people talk about the recovery as the hard part, right? Going through that every day, trying to find something to grab onto, to push forward, to make it through the next day, right? Um, what what were some of the things, first off, did you think about quitting? And then second off, what did you utilize in your mind so you didn't quit? So you got back up and got into those showers every day. Uh, meant to me, uh, once I came around and I was actually awake, yeah, there were, there were times where I felt useless. Uh, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to perform my job and my duties like I did before. Um, you know, it was easy to see my body and see how jacked up I was. And I realized that I wasn't going to be the same. So that was kind of hard to swallow. And it was just one of those that I struggled with a lot. And cause you were a former, you were a former all-star football player. You were one of the best defensive ends in the state. You were a basketball player. You were one, you were a sergeant. You were let lead. Ma- I mean, that's that's a dramatic shift, right? When that physicality is stripped away. Yeah, I mean, like you know, and it's just it was from the job to sports to just being this very independent guy that you know everything that I put my mind to, I was able to do, and, and I was able to you know just pretty much do anything that I ever wanted, and I knew that I was going to have limitations and. It was hard to swallow. It really was, man. I think that's one of the biggest things I struggled with was, you know, playing sports or or being that, you know, the military man that I wanted to be because I wanted to be a lifer. I was going to do, I was going to be a career guy. Right. The, the, those were my, the, those were my dreams. I want, that's what I wanted to do. And, and I, it was a hard pill to swallow because I knew that that wasn't going to happen. And I knew that being as wounded as, as I was, the army was never ever going to take me back. So that that's what I struggled the most. It was, it was very depressing. But at the same time, the thing that brought me out of that was um, my brother uh, and his girlfriend were expecting a baby, and it was my first niece for everything. I mean, first grandchild. Every it was just. I wanted to live for that little girl. So her mom used to walk into my room and she put her hand, uh, put my hand in her stomach and she used to tell me like, Haley wants to meet you. Haley wants to meet your uncle. You need to push forward. You need to be strong. Like you need to do this for her. She wants to meet her uncle. And, um, that was, man, that was honestly what pushed me the most was knowingly knowing that, I wanted to meet my needs before I left this earth. And I think that's kind of what gave me the strength to keep pushing forward. And, and it gave me a purpose. And, and ultimately, like, you know, that's, that's what we look for in the military. Like, once you're out, you're looking for that mission. You're looking for that purpose. Amen. You, you know, you're, you're looking to stay relevant to something and, and, and just be, I mean, I, I don't even know the word. I just, like, mean something to somebody. Yep. And to me, it was her. So mm-hmm. uh, when she was born, I was still in the ICU, and then they transferred me over to the burn unit. And I remember uh, them telling me that they couldn't bring her into my room because she was a baby, and there was just so many like bacteria and and a bunch of stuff in the air that was going to get her sick. So I needed to learn how to walk, to get out of my room, to go to the visitors area 
to sit down and carry her. Hmm. And wow. I did that for, for about two months, man. It was very hard. I, I, I didn't have any balance. Uh, my legs were weak. You know, I was, I was in a bed for almost six months. And uh, wow. so I busted my ass, got her in my arms. And the minute that I held my knees, man, that was life-changing for me. She, that little girl changed my life, like, completely. And she and I have this bond that even my brother says all the time, like, that little girl may be mine but she's like but she's your daughter wow she's she is your daughter and, and we're we're as close as it gets that i mean dude did, i give her a lot of credit did she make you start believing in god again she did she did um went through some very very dark times when where you know i didn't want to be around anymore and stuff like that but i remember just looking at her her beautiful face and everything would change and it was like get back on track back on track you need to be a role model for this little girl and you need to be around for this little girl when she gets married when she has kids when you know all the important things you know graduating high school college and all that stuff so in a sense she was pushing me every single day and she just did not know the power that she held over me amen yeah, when our kids come in you look at them and there's it's pure goodness they don't know that crazy world that we had to live in and when you get on when you've had to go to the max extent of what we we're capable of, I guess is the best way to say that. Yeah. I remember those times too, is when you look in those faces, it's like all you, the, all the good parts of your life come snapshot and through there. And you're willing to like, you know what, man, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make sure you don't have to go through the crap I did. That's where that overall love comes from for our children. I think, because you see the, the they're the next evolution of us. You want to make sure that they have it better than us. Yeah. And you're like, I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to be like, you forget that it's important for them to go through some of that stuff. That's the hardest part about being a parent. <laughs> it it's sucks. Like, the pain. I don't want you to, that look on your face, man, when you get hurt. But sometimes you have to get knocked down so you can get back up. And But it's incumbent upon us when, you know, later on when we get hurt and we come out on the other side. That's the purest form. Of, if, you ever, if you need a reason why to, to stand back up and, and go back online, our kids. Because they need us right now, apparently, you know, more than ever. Absolutely. And, uh, it, I was thinking about when you're saying this. We don't have to put this in there, but uh, it's funny about the military, or it's when it becomes our family. It's a way of life. I mean, literally, an American way of life. You just throw the uniform on, her to, so everyone makes sure you stay in check throughout the life because we're trying to live this life together. But we don't keep our injured around very long. No, no, we don't. There should be an, <laughs> there should be an entire unit for guys that can mm. process. Like, God dang, man. Well, the, the biggest thing for me was like, uh, you and know, I get I, it. I, I get it. I fully understood that I wasn't going to be able to go back on the line, and and that was fine. But I asked, I was like, send me to Fort Benning. Let me train the next generation of infantry guys coming in. You know, or, or whoever, everyone, whatever it was. But put me back where. I can make a difference in, in a young soldier's life and, and tell him, like, look, dude, this is, you got to pay attention from day one or, or it's going to cost lives. You know, you, and I try to sell that to the recruiters so they can let me stay in or, or whoever the crap the guys were there at the hospital. But the one thing that they came back to me and said that I was going to scare all the new recruits and a lot of them were going to drop off because of my injuries. And I looked at them and I said, good. 
<laughs> exactly. That was during our sensitive time. I mean, in all actuality, when we pull back from combat, especially the guys that get hurt in it, they need to go through a transitional. And I guess yep. the best way to do that would be put them in the training detachment. And For you got to sure. look at it. Like when they're telling you that, you're like, well, you know what? If I wasn't hurt, I'd be here anyway. So I'm ho- I'm not actually taking up a slot. I'd be giving up one. And then yeah. when you go out, out of the, we know the war, our war is so dynamic. It changes, you know, daily, but, um, the basic parts of it to get the guys ready for it, that doesn't. And when you when you pull the guys off the line and put them into that training, it actually gives them the time to get upset and and bitter again. I want to go find something better to do or just assimilate totally. back in, right? <laughs> totally, totally. Omar, when, when all right, so now you're you're healed. What was it like making the transition out of the hospital, heading home? You're out of the military. And you have the rest of your life to start to think sure. about what was that like, and what were you? What did you start thinking about doing at that point? Oh man, that one hit me very hard because even as I was doing, um, I was I was going through my therapy. You know, I still needed to wake up at seven in the morning and show up for formation and wear my uniform. And whether it be PTs or the regular uniform, I was still in uniform. And I was still, you know, going through the motions of I needed to report here. I needed to do paperwork for for the other young soldiers and stuff. So it was always there. And the minute that I retired, it was from one day to the next. And, you know, I remember packing up all my stuff and headed down to Brownsville. And when I got home, I woke up one morning again at six in the morning, drank some coffee, got up. And I was in my kitchen like. What do I do now? Wow. I don't, I don't, that structure that was there before is no longer here. Who do I report? And I caught myself calling my first sergeant like, hey. And I was like, oh, man. I was like, dude, my bad. He's like, no, you're good, man. He's like, you're good for the day. Uh, try to transition in a little better. And I said, you know, roger that. And it was just, it was hard for me. It was, there was, like I said, there was no structure. I had no mission. I had nowhere to be. I had all the time in the world, and I didn't. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't have anything at the time. It was. It was hard, and it, that was very hard for me to deal with because I had twenty four fucking hours and nothing to do. Yeah. So uh, I found myself getting overweight and and being lazy and falling into the going out with with the guys from high school that still haven't grown up still yeah. live at their mom's house but want to go out and drink and party mm-hmm. and go to the bar and, and start fights and, and you know do all that dumb shit that they do in small towns I, I caught myself doing that and um you know one day uh i just told myself I was like what the hell am i doing in my life yeah. and uh, i walked into a gym uh one of my buddies had a strength and conditioning gym uh, i've never been a crossfitter i'm just too fat <laughs> uh, but <laughs> they had powerlifting, you know, they had powerlifting in the, uh, in that built in the building. And uh, I was like, man, I, I want to try powerlifting. And, you know, I've never, I never did it in high school. I never did it anywhere. And, uh, I walked in there and they were deadlift and I looked at him and I was like, dude, I, I can't do that. I can't grip with my hands. And he goes, hold on. I got straps. So he strapped my hands. And, uh, the first day, uh, I did lift it four or five, like nothing. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. (laughs) Yeah, man. And then, uh, you know, the next day we were benching and I, 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 it took me a little while to get used to my hands and how to hold the bar 
And, you know, after that, I was just kind of ripping out, you know, 315s and stuff like that. Just kind of getting to that. And, uh, man, that iron bug, dude, bit me hard. And I started doing it at a competitive level. And, um, you know, fast forward a couple of years, man, that's kind of what helped me. That and hunting. Hunting was one of the biggest things in my life. And it's always been a big thing in my life. That's one thing that I do a lot uh, year round, whether it be hogs or you know, friends that need deer taken off from their place. They got MLB places and, and, you know, I go help out with the does and stuff like that, wherever it is. I mean, I, the, the trophy hunting is cool. It's great. Can't afford it. I'm, <laughs> you know, right. some places are really expensive, but if I can go anywhere and hunt, I'm, I'm happy with it. And, uh, so those two things were, were the, the main thing for me, man, but powerlifting just kind of, it came out of nowhere and, and it was just, uh, I developed a, um, a technique for deadlifting, for benching, for squatting. And next thing I know, I found myself, you know, deadlifting almost 700 and, and benching almost 500. Cow. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so it took off, man. And I was embraced very well by the powerlifting community and, and everybody in it. And it was just amazing. I felt like, uh, I felt like I had a purpose again. It felt like uh, I was part of a brotherhood. Showing- yeah, I was showing people that, you know, hey, man, I'm jacked up or whatever. But at the end of the day, like, if you want to put your mind to it and, and you want to really do something, you're going to find a way. You're going to, it doesn't matter at what level it is. Even if you started with the bar and, and six months later you're deadlifting 10 pounds, you made, you made progress. You're, you're moving forward. That's 10 pounds that you couldn't do before. And uh, it, it just took off, man. And that's kind of where. I saw my purpose again, and it was, you know, giving people hope, inspiring people, and I, I went with it. I started doing uh, motivational speaking. I started traveling around the country and speaking at different events and with different people, and I just, it, it, it fit, you know, it, it was a great fit for me, and I saw the potential in me to help others, and I ran with it, and you know, obviously being burnt and seeing young kids burn, it was a huge passion for me because, mm. you know, I lived a great life. I was in there when I was 21. Uh, I, I did the sports. I, I did, you know, a military career. I, I did all those great things. But these kids are burnt at a young age that they're never going to be able to experience what I experienced. You know, they're going to be bullied because it's going to happen. K- kids are assholes uh, mm. when their parents don't raise them well, you know. So they're, yep. they're going to do all that stuff. And so I took a big interest. I said, you know what? I got a, I got a great voice in the community. Uh, people tend to listen when, when I say something. Why not use that platform to not only help military men and, and women, but these kids that need somebody to be there for them? And, uh, man, every time I, I will put something out on social media like, hey, guys, uh, my buddy Owen, you know, he, he loves uh, fishing rods or whatever, and he got a ton of fishing rods. And then <laughs> I started working with another kid, and this kid loved hats because he was completely burnt, and he loved loved just wearing hats because it's what kept his head, you know, um, from not getting sunburned. And uh, you know, I put something out there, and next thing you know, his mom's like, he's got over hundred caps in three days. <laughs> what the heck? Oh, goodness <laughs> you know what I'm awesome. and, and that and so that felt me like that made me feel great because i was like look i have that voice and and when there's something great and good that i want to do all i have to is put it out there and people are going to respond to it so all that stuff came just very hard and it made me feel like i had a purpose it made me feel oh. um like 
people that I could use my platform to help anybody. And man, it was just, it's just amazing to be able to give back. You know, I, I guess my time, um, to serve my country was done, but not my community. You know, you're, Amen. It's, it's a new, it's a new thing. I got to serve my community now. So, well, before we get into you guys, you hang. I'm sorry, man. No, I'm, go no, ahead. I'm sorry. Leave, we leave to serve the the greater community, and then when you come back, coming up to serve a community when we come back home. And you're right that I think what gets to us when you when you get home, especially if you're hurt, right? You're kind of laying around, nothing to do. We've seen every TV show known to man, and every movie five hundred <laughs> times because it's been on, on the point. But literally. I just started with the Admiral. You know, the Admiral was like, get up in the morning, make your bed. That was your routine in the military. So I get up, make your bed, then you get to breakfast. Then you know you're supposed to go work out. So you go work out. That takes up that morning part of the day and just keep that thing rolling. And if you don't have kids and if you're not married, you're right, man. Getting out and hanging, teaching the kids how to do something is, man, that's a reward in itself. And the way they look up at you as a soldier, especially a wounded one, I mean, look at this, the, if their eyes like stuck, like a Terminator or something standing in front of them, right? Especially if you're hardcore about it. And just teach them that discipline if someone else isn't willing to. If they don't have that guidance, man, it's uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Especially when we get to the ages that we're at right now. It's, it's time for us to do that. That's you know? what, It's our responsibility. Yeah, it's our time. I mean, we, our calling. We, right. We were fighting the wars and we raised hell growing up, like fighting and chasing women, all that stuff like that. You know, and burned all that out of our system to get both perspective of it. And now we're back. Now it's time to start teaching the kids. Omar, what was the length of time since when you got out of the military until you started finding that purpose? Oh man, about two years. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, it took me quite a bit to realize that I was just throwing my life away. So I'm wondering, you know, um, if you would have done it differently, I mean, basically advice for someone who may be going through that right now, what would you have done differently to have found that purpose maybe sooner, more easily, etc.? Great question. <laughs> You know, I think at the time, because I retired in 2010, and like the social media world wasn't what it is now. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was just, it wasn't like, you know, you, you can go online and ask questions. But now that we have that technology and we have that platform, you know, I would highly recommend to reach, reaching out to different organizations or reaching out to different uh, guys that have transitioned out of the military and have found a job or, something that they're doing in their career, I would definitely reach out to those guys and see what resources they used and how, and how they got there. Cause you know, a lot of these guys get out and don't have a plan uh, of what they're going to do when they get out. And they fail to realize that the army, the Navy, whoever it is, they have something in place that helps you transition out of the military to see what you're going to do when you get out. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of guys don't know use resources because all they want to do is get out get that DD two fourteen and move the hell on. And once they get out, it's the same. So I've seen it thousands of times. They get out and they're like, oh, shit, now what? And it's just like, yeah, those resources were there. You didn't want to use them uh, because you, you thought it wasn't cool. But now you're regretting it. So I definitely push uh, for them to look into that, reach out to mm -hmm. somebody, ask, ask for help. It, it, it doesn't. A lot of people have this mentality that asking for help. It's a weakness, and it's not, man. It really isn't a weakness. Uh, you, you need to reach out, man. It, it takes courage to ask for help. Amen. Mm. It really does. That is one of the best parts about having the access that people have with social media. I mean, it's, it's 
kind of just like you join the military and everybody calls us heroes, right? But you join in the military, you became a hero. You guys that get hurt, man, get injured, lose a leg, get burnt, y'all just became superheroes. And our world needs <laughs> superheroes now. I mean, if I was one of the doctors there, I'd lean over. I was like, I know you're bummed out right now, but check this out. In high school, no guidance counselor ever said, you know what? You should be a motivational damn speaker, man, because what? That doesn't exist, right? you got to live <laughs> life and go through the craziest stuff to actually become one of those and be able to pass that down. So when you're laying there burned up, missing some legs, doctoring them, be like, congratulations, you've just been transformed into a superhero, and you're going to change lives. And when, they, when you walk out of there, like, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I was like, I'm going to change people's lives with this. That's Watch cool. this, man. I mean, you've literally been That's transformed cool. into that. That's it's easy for me to do that because the kid in me is still very, very <laughs> alive, right? So when I see them guys walking through, like Fleming, man, all yeah. the guys with those Terminator arms just burned up, and like they call us heroes, and we know that we're not. So in their eyes, man, y'all have just been transformed into the X Men, right? You're a freaking X Men, a superhero, dude. I'm gonna go out here and tell these kids that they're capable and can do anything. Go out there and bust yourself up, man. We'll give you a different leg and make it run faster. <laughs> it's 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 that mentality as opposed to like oh you're hurt man and that's just terrible he, and you're gonna he's be a- Captain Crispy dude I mean yeah. when you watch exactly uh, yeah bro up. he's crispy to fuck on dude five hundred pounds he is crispy to fuck on so what I want to know is how'd you get the name who t- who gave it to you how it came about you know and share with our listeners uh, that. Oh. <laughs> So my nickname be- came about uh, probably less than a year after I got wounded. Uh, I actually flew back to Germany where I was stationed to do the welcome back ceremony with a bunch of the guys. You know, they, they, they pushed it a little further out so that we could all um, kind of recover and show up for it. Uh, so uh, one of my buddies, an IED went off and uh, a small piece of shrapnel went through the side of his eye and out the other and lost his eyesight. Nothing else. I would say nothing else, but uh, there was no other injuries to his body. He lost his wow. eyesight. I mean, just a little small piece. And uh, I, I went I went to basic with this guy. We went to basic together. We ended up in the same unit, different platoons, whatever. But we saw each other on a, on a regular, and it was we were just really, really close friends. Um, so the first day that we got back uh, to Germany, I was on one side of the building. He was on the other side, and I can hear his voice. And I was like, "Dude, that that's that's Werda. Like, dude, that's my boy." Um, so I started making my way over there, and um, I looked at him, and I was like, "What's up, Werda? It's it's Omar. It's Avila." And he goes, "Oh shit!" He's like, "How you doing, man?" I was like, "I'm good, brother. I'm good." And uh, I said, "Well, how are you doing? How, how are you doing with, with with your eyes or whatever?" And, and he takes off his glasses. He goes, "Check this shit out." And he's he's full Filipino. He goes, I'm the only Fili- uh, the only Filipino with a green and a blue eye. He had taken one of his <laughs> eyes and put another one in. Oh. <laughs> I started cracking up. And uh, he looks at me and he goes, man, how are you doing with your burns? And I was like, I'm good. He's like, yeah, man, I heard what happened to you. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah. So he's like, well, tell me what happened. I said, you know, it's 75% burns. I'm pretty, pretty badly burned. And then he looks at me, and I don't know where he goes, well, damn, you're pretty fucking crispy, huh? <laughs> and, uh, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I was like, you know what? I like that. So I I, I stuck with it, and, uh, you know, I guess in a way I started calling myself crispy. And uh, from now on, man, like it, it, even when my mom calls me, she's like, Omar. And I'm like, 
I, I don't even look at her. I'm like, what? And then I turn around. She's like, I'm talking to you. I was like, oh, shit. Like, I don't even respond to Omar anymore. I respond to Crispy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, you know, as I said before, I'm a huge fan. I love watching what you're doing. And, and you know, Evan and is, is very near and dear to me. My heart and everybody over at Black Rifle Coffee Company, they're just doing wonderful things. Can you talk a little bit about what you got going on in your life you know, where can people find you? Where can people follow you? And what's happening next for Crispy? Oh, man. Speaking of Evan and, and, and Matt and all those guys, it's just, uh, you know, I've always, I've known Matt for quite a bit. And, and we always hung out and just, you know, film stupid videos and, and, and try to make people laugh, man. Because at the end of the day, I think humor, uh, it, it's a great source for recovery. I think that Amen. dark humor that. That, that we have in, in, the, in the service translates to those guys that are getting out or have gotten out or are still in, in, in you know, still active duty or, or maybe a guy that's going through something. They see something funny, like the videos that we put out. And I think making their day, it's it's pretty freaking awesome. So, yeah, I get to hang out with all those guys and, and, and do cool shit. And, and it's and it's it's just awesome, man. I, you know, I, I got to meet Marcus's brother, Morgan, at a... Uh, at Poteet, not long ago, we did a fundraiser for uh, the boot campaign, and uh, yeah. th that was pretty neat. So, you know, and then you just start meeting different people in the community, and it's, it's pretty cool, man, because you get to make a friendship with someone else, and, and you keep doing just awesome things for others. And Amen. Th that's, that's what Black Rifle is doing, man, and I, I love that. For, I love that from them and that's why i kind of stick around with them dude I, I love the one where you got the hockey mask on and the machete and you're <laughs> oh my god that's probably my favorite one of all time dude it's just and then uh, another another my favorite you just did one recently where you're uh waterboarding jack uh with strike force man <laughs> i swear to god i pissed my pat my pants on that crispy so much jack is one of my favorite people in the whole world i think his natural comedic talent is right up there with john belushi and the rest of those guys man oh man i think people that all the time i think he's one of the guys that's underrated man because he's just such a funny guy you know he came to stay out here with me and uh i live yeah right outside of austin closer to new Braunfels. And uh, he came out here and stayed a couple of days. And man, that guy is just hilarious, man. I, I love that dude. He's one of the he's one of the true special guys in our whole little you know connected community that just brings that humor, understands the power yeah. of it. So <laughs> he sure does. And it's great having those guys around in, in any kind of capacity because it doesn't matter what they say. It gets to a point where like if they ask you what time it is, it's funny, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's when they ask it. Yeah, probably. You know, it's like the timing's just perfect. When you have yeah. one of those natural comedic times, it just means their their timing is absolutely perfect. Totally. You're dropping that in there, and you're like, totally. Uh, that. So where can people follow you? Oh, man, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and, and YouTube, and they're all under Crispy11B. Awesome, awesome. Well, Crispy. 11 Bravo, 11 Band-Aid. Yeah. You were 11 Band-Aid? Yeah. 11 Bang Bang. <laughs> <laughs> well, brother, I, I, you know, listen, thank you so much. Um, again, I, I'm telling you, it is beyond an honor um, watching you do what you're doing and, and bringing, in particular for me, is watching you put a smile on those kids' faces that's a true gift. God is working through you. God is is active in you and your purpose in life. 
And just so you know, it, it's apparent, and we support you a thousand percent, brother. Just God Thank bless you. you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Amen. All right, brother. Have a good one. Yeah. Bye. Brother, what a what a what a gracious human being, you know what I mean? I mean, he had every right to be pissed off, he had every right to be angry, you know, he I mean, but I mean, imagine getting your skin scrubbed like that. Yeah, you know, I every kept thinking about day. when we started telling that story. You remember when Richard Pryor got Oh yeah. Martin, he was his when he was doing that stand up about telling about it. Oh yeah. Like I was laying in the hospital Live and I, on you know, the woke, sunset strip. Yeah, yeah. I woke up and I was all drugged up and my the guy came in, my physical therapist, he's like, Rich, it's gonna be great. We're gonna wash you today. It's gonna be great. <laughs> we're gonna, like, wash we're gonna wash you. It's gonna be I just wanted to get you ready because man, we're gonna wash you. It's gonna be it's all gonna right. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I get him, I'm like, Are you gonna wash me? Just wash me. Get him, get him. Uh, <laughs> one of the best <laughs> when, when he hit me with that sponge to debride the skin, I was like, wait. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't. Dude, in his facial expressions. And oh, it, and he's don't, just, don't, oh don't my God. Don't wash me any. Don't, just, don't leave me dirty, man. If you know. have never seen Richard Pryor live on a sunset trip, do yourself a favor and go watch that because oh. that's one of them. But seriously, burn victims, I, I'm telling you, man. That's, it's the worst one, man. When your armor's stripped off of you, that's what's happened. You're, I mean, you can't really appreciate what your skin does for you. And, and until I mean, that moment, I mean, the beating it takes day to day, and it, it really is something. It is armor for for everything around us that can get in and kill us, and what it keeps away. And the minute, man, you interfere with that part of it, it's just you know, the underside of it doesn't want to have anything to do with the outside. Absolutely, at all. That's and, what why are, I, and what other healing process? Well, that's I mean, the problem. You <laughs> basically have to go stripping that away, time and time ah. and time and time and time again. What other injury do you? None. Usually it's leave it alone, keep it from getting infected. Let no, don't mess with it. We're going to cast don't. it up. Don't even touch <laughs> it. <laughs> keep it clean. Burned, keep it dry. going to have to go through the same thing. Torture. Torture every day. That is torture. Horrendous. And you got to do it. Period. They, uh, the next level of technology, the medical, when they come out for the burn. New skin. Yeah, right. So where they just lay in lay in a jelly bat of lidocaine <laughs> and then you come out of it <laughs> brand like new. the wraps they put on vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something, man. Tiger stripe skin pattern. Yeah. That's what I would have right there. I'd have a tiger stripe. <laughs> this arm sponsored by Goodyear tires <laughs> yeah. i was thinking about that the other day when That's, a lot of people are some people in our country are wrapped up with color the, the cool thing about being in the military I and mean, once you and we talked about it on the show when yeah, you go through did. that rite of passage man like our, our skin changes color it's camouflage totally we, we gave that up man it's it's badass we, so did our culture yeah and right? you can adapt it our generation man we adapt to every color amen That's it. <laughs> i love it well it was such a privilege to have omar crispy on and, you know, I just love what he's doing with the kids. Again, I just, for me, that's like the quintessential. When you can think so far outside yourself to recognize that there are little kids that have been burnt, you know, and, and to be living with those scars and him to show up and teach them, to inspire them to be strong, that they're, that they're, they're, they're not scars of weakness, they're scars of strength. Man, that's just, that's a good person right there. Absolutely. I, I, you know, you can only imagine how rewarding that is for him also on the receiving end of being able to provide that kind of comfort, inspiration for... Superhero. Superhero. I love Superhero that piece, man. dude. 
Well, I, I'm going to step out on a limb. You know, we had talked about that, you know, this is the anniversary coming up of, of Red Wings. And I'm going to step out there, you know, as, as a, on a personal note, Marcus, man, you, you're one of those heroes, brother. And I know you hate it. I know you can't stand when you hear it. Um, but man, you, you are that, and you are that for millions of people, in particular millions of kids out there. Um, you know, that was a, a profound day for all of us, but you in particular, and, you know, I, I just want to start my thanks off per, by, you know, how you have led the way, how, how you have been the example and shown, shown so many of us what it means to do as you go through something profound like that. So, you know, thank God for you, you know, thank God for what you've done. Thank God for how you're still doing it. Um, I want to just thank God for me being here too. I want to thank all those, all my, all our brothers that aren't here today, uh, in particular, you know, that fateful day 13 years ago. Um, and I want to thank Crispy. I want to thank, you know, all the people that are, are living that purpose out and really trying to make the world a better place through their scars, through their injuries. And, and the profound impact that y'all are having in this life. And I want to thank you all for being a part of, of just next to you by your side and, and helping you do that. Because uh, I feel very, very blessed to be able to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate it. And the anniversary's coming up. It's, uh, that's something those guys are great. You know, that, it, the hero tag it does bo- it bothers me, man. So I made up something to to explain that whole thing why I'm not a hero. And I think it's Navy SEALs. I mean, a hero is someone who steps into a situation that you're not prepared for. As Navy SEALs were Sierra and land specialists, I've actually been trained for almost every scenario I get my butt into. And then I went out and tried to get into it. <laughs> so hero stands for uh, humanity's eternally revolving one, right? So it's it's everyone out there. You're going to get put in a situation that you're not trained for, and when you step up and and thrive through that, through that adversity. That makes you the hero. And everybody in this country is is what keeps me going now. I mean, I don't know defeat mentally because everyone around me won't be beat me mentally. I, the right. best part about growing up the way I did is my identity was created off of everything that I've watched and seen from our people. From the movies and yep. I, mean, I was so weak and little and stuff like that. And just, it was an honor to be out there on that battle. And, you know, we all sign up for the... In the military, we join the uniform, we go out and we fight together. And in any situation, in a football game, baseball game, whatever it is, you're going to have those players that excel, right? They just do something so wonderful in the game that they're going to be remembered forever. And that's what all those guys mm. did. I mean, they're going to be remembered forever. I was just, I played mm. in the game. That's it. And, uh, you know, in the, in the SEAL teams, I'm known for, I mean, I'm known for what a Navy SEAL can take, right? <laughs> uh, you got the other guys on the successful mission. That's what we can do. <laughs> so, <laughs> make no mistake, all our team oh, guy brothers out there. I know that, man. That's why. And, and I know at any given day, man, it, you have to, to, I get, I still get hit, man. But, and when I go down, that's just, the first part of me that goes down, there's actually 19 other men that give me my strengths. So you had to beat me 19 times. Amen. Before I stop. That's why I've never bent my knee only to, you know, to my wife. I only bow my head to God. So it, it was just a, an honor to be a part of that, you know, to walk among it. I, I was thinking if I ever had to give a talk at one of the buds graduations, I would, 
say one thing to the parents and say something else to the students and something along the lines of like, if you weren't in the, if you, you know, you're just coming in, if you've heard my story, if you've heard the stories of all my brothers in the past and what we've done, and if you, there's two kinds of people, there's those people gonna be like, man, that's terrible. I'm glad I wasn't there. And then there's those guys be like, man, I wish I, wish I, was. I was there. If that's yeah. you, then you're in the right spot. Because even if you know you're, the outcome is, is defeat with us, it's not defeat. That's, mm-hmm. that's your, man, mm-hmm. that's the rite of passage to that forever SEAL team, those ultimate warriors, right? And so, man, and then after that, to go back with Ramad, into Ramadi and, and fight there, <clears throat> I mean, these guys have just been looking out for me as, as long as I've been in, just trying to pull my damn weight. So thank you for, <laughs> thank you for my life. I truly don't have the vocabulary to explain it these days. I mean, I, I get into those jokes, I joke a little about like, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure I died in combat because <laughs> everything that leads up to the point to this moment is, is unexplainable, like jaw dropping. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's why I ever talk about it, what I see every day. So I'll, uh, you know, I'll always get up every day and try and pull my weight because of it. I, 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 I'm indebted to y'all for that. Thank you for allowing me the privilege. I'm out. We now like to honor those that paid the ultimate sacrifice in Operation Red Wings. As part of the initial four-man SEAL element, Lieutenant Michael Murphy, Petty Officer 2nd Class Matthew Axelson, Petty Officer 2nd Class Danny Dietz. Aboard the 47, responding to the incident that was shot down, Chief Jacques Fontaine, Senior Chief Daniel Healy, Lieutenant Commander Eric Christensen, Petty Officer First Class Jeffrey Lucas, Lieutenant Michael McGreevy, Petty Officer Second Class James So, Petty Officer First Class Jeffrey Taylor, and Petty Officer Second Class Shane Patton. The members of the 160th SOAR, Staff Sergeant Seamus Gore, Chief Warrant Officer Corey Goodnature, Sergeant Kip Jacoby, Sergeant First Class Marcus Morales, Master Sergeant James Ponder, Major Stephen Reich, Sergeant First Class Michael Russell, and Chief Warrant Officer Chris Schirkenbach. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 